Father, thanks for a moment to be still this morning as we ask you to come and meet us in this space through the power of your spirit, through the power of your word, that we would be changed and transformed. I pray that as we look at this text, you would do that. You would give us eyes to see what we need to see, ears to hear what we need to hear, hearts to be transformed into your likeness, Jesus. We need you to do it. We are desperate for you to meet us, to transform us. We ask that you would do it this morning. We pray it in your name. Amen. Well, I always wanted to be taller than... I don't know why you laugh at that. That's not... That's, I think some of that is just... Um, playing basketball growing up, that was my main sport, and so height is an advantage when you play basketball. And I'm a uh, long 5'10", um, so I never really got the height, but I remember even as a kid, I remember I watched a video by Michael Jordan called Come Fly With Me, and in it, he talked about wanting to be taller. He's 6'6", he's the tallest in his whole family. And so he talks about how he read at one point that hanging from the chin-up bar would make you taller. And so when I was a kid, like I'm out there hanging from any bar I could find, it clearly did not work. Uh, so I married a tall woman and I have tall kids and I'm fine with that. But I remember being a kid and wanting to be taller and hearing these things that were like supposedly going to stunt your growth. That would help your growth hanging by a pull-up bar, but stunting your growth. I don't know if you heard these things that have kind of been debunked now that People are relying on science and looking at the data. Um, one of the things out of these three was you weren't supposed to lift weights too early. You guys heard this, right? Because the motion, something would like, so it's like stay off the weights so that you can continue to grow. Another one was drink milk. If you drink milk, you will grow. Your bones will grow. I think that was just a ploy from the milk company. Doesn't say I drank a ton of milk. Didn't seem to help me. Um, and then the last one, I don't know if you've heard this, like smoking cigarettes. Smoking cigarettes will stunt your growth which I don't think science has found true, but I think it's a great tactic to get kids not to smoke when you're little, right? Like maybe that's some fear tactics going on there. Um, those are all things that I heard to, to kind of stay away from because if you did those things, it would stunt your growth. Um, and actually, when you look at the, the science and the data, really your first two years of life um, developmentally have a ton to do with how you grow and mature as a human. And one of those things, three of the things that they found out over time um, that have helped you grow or that could potentially stunt your growth if you don't do well. One is poor nutrition. If you don't have good nutrition that first two years of your life, that can hinder your growth. Uh, second is repeated infection. If you have infection, it doesn't get treated correctly. It can actually really harm your growth as a person. And then the third is inadequate opportunities to play and learn. If you don't have those things, even in your first couple of years of life, it actually can really stunt your growth and your development as a person. Well, we have been walking through the book of Colossians, and we discovered last week uh, at the end of chapter one that Paul kind of gives his thesis for being a minister of the gospel. He talks about his whole purpose for being a minister. And if you have your Bible, you can look at the end of chapter one just to remind us in verse 28, he's talking about Jesus, and he says this He says, Him we proclaim warning everybody and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he so powerfully works within me. Paul is saying, listen, this is the reason I'm in prison. This is the reason I'm writing. This is the reason I'm struggling. This is the reason I've gone through the things I've gone through. The whole reason I'm doing this is so that you would be mature in Christ. 
that you would grow in your maturity, that you wouldn't just stay as an infant. You've received Christ. You've been born again. You're growing. You wouldn't just stay as an adolescent in Christ, but that you would mature to the point of being able to be presented mature in Christ in your community. That's his whole goal. That's his whole end game. And then he starts to unravel what things can sometimes trip up this community at Colossae that he's writing to. And he continues, and what we're going to find as we continue the body of this letter in chapter 2 this morning, is Paul is going to warn the community about the things that have the potential to stunt their growth. He's saying, I want you to be mature in Christ. And he's going, these are things you need to be aware of. Because of what's going on in the community, because of what I'm hearing, you need to be aware. It's a warning to go, be careful. You don't want to get caught up in these things because it will stunt your growth and your maturity in Christ. It will, inhibit, it will inhibit your maturing process. It will take you captive. And the language of captive here uh, in the text that we're going to see, the original language in the Greek, it actually means to, to lead you away from the truth. That's what the word captive means. So there's these philosophies that are out there embedded in the culture that Paul is saying, be aware of these things, be warned of these things, because these things will actually cause you to stray and stunt your growth in your maturity in Jesus. And what we're going to look at is three things specifically when we talk about what Paul is going after in the culture. And these are the three things if you're taking notes to jot down. The first is to grow in Christ, we need legalism to die. To grow in Christ, we need legalism to die. To see Christ clearly, we need to close our eyes. And then the last one, to hold on to Christ as the head, we need the body. So for maturity, to not get tripped up in our growth, to grow in Christ, we need legalism to die. To see Christ clearly, we need to close our eyes and to hold on to Christ as the head, we need the body. If you don't already have a Bible, um, please grab one on your phone or a hard copy, and we are going to be reading uh, Colossians 2. We're going to start in verse 6 where we left off last week, and we will go almost through the entire chapter of chapter 2. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a couple verses and then stop and unpack and give some context. And then at the back end, we will get to those three points of what we need to be aware of moving forward. So this is what it says, Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, because you've made the decision to trust Christ, he uses the, the language of receive. You've received Jesus. You've given your life to him. You've been changed. You've been born again. Because of that truth, he's talking to people that have made that decision. Now walk in him. I love the language of walk. Paul uses this language in other places in his letters. He also uses the language of breathe. Because walking is something you have to learn to do. You need community around you to help you understand what it means to walk. But then once you figure it out, it's step by step, right? Most of you in here, except for maybe Sean, walked into this room without thinking about walking. Is a big knee brace. I don't know what happened to you, dude. But, but most of us, we walked in here and we weren't thinking about walking. It was just second nature to us. And Paul is saying, as you continue to grow, as you continue to mature, this should be moment by moment second nature. What is he saying is second nature? Look back at verse 6. To be rooted in and built up in him and established in the faith. I love this language that Paul uses too. He uses this all the time. He uses planting language, agricultural language, and he uses um, construction language. And so he's saying, you are rooted in Christ. 
We'll have monsoon season in a couple of months, and if you've been here any length of time, you know that sometimes you're driving, there'll be a big storm, and you'll just see trees in the middle of the road because they don't have deep roots, right? A tree that has deep roots can establish the wind and the storm, and it does not blow over. And so Paul is saying, if you want to be mature, you have to root yourself in Jesus, not anything else. And he's going to get to the other things people are rooting themselves in. He's saying, dig, dig, dig your roots deep into Christ, and then you will be able to establish the storms of life, being built up into him. Verse 8 he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Let's stop there just for a second to unpack what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, I'm getting word of things going around in your culture that just as I'm telling you to walk in Christ, these are the things that are going to cause you to trip. These are the things that are going to cause you to be pulled away from the truth and don't get fooled by them. Your culture will tell you this is the way to go. This is what you should do. And he's saying, don't, don't be fooled by it. Don't get tripped up in these philosophies that we will uncover in a minute. The NIV says uh, hollow philosophies, which I like that language. Or ESV says empty. But we just had Easter a couple um, of weeks ago, about a month ago. And I don't know about you, but I remember getting an Easter basket as a kid and seeing that chocolate bunny. And man, you're like, this is it, right? Solid chocolate? No, it's not solid chocolate. It's a lie, right? Like this may have been the first time as a child I had a, a taste of deception because I go to bite in to that bunny and you start at the ears. You always start at the ears, right? And you bite in and it's hollow. There's nothing inside of it. And what Paul is saying is these philosophies that you are seeing around you, they look solid. They look good. People are kind of doubling down and saying, this is what you need to do to grow into your religion. And Paul's going, hollow. Don't fall for it. It's empty. Don't let it be taking you away from the truth. That is what he is going after in verse 8. And then verses 9 through 15, what he does is he reminds them what is solid, who they are in Jesus. Listen to what he says as we pick it up in verse 9. He says, For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of the rule and all authority. In him... Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the flesh, but by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Let's stop there just for a second, because he's using all this language that we're not familiar with uh, a lot of the times with circumcision. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying in the Old Testament, and he's going, to, uh, uh, he's going to help these people that are still living in the Old Testament in their approval of God in the rest of the chapter. But he's saying, listen, the old mark of God's people in the Old Testament was circumcision. That's how you knew on the outward, I'm in God's family. Why God decided to do that, I have no clue, right? But that, that's what he did in the Old Testament. That's how you identified with the body of people that were following Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. He's saying that's not the case anymore. 
He goes, that was something you did by human hands, but what Christ has done in you is he's changed you from the inside. He's circumcised your heart. There's nothing you can do about that. How do you now identify in the New Testament? He goes, it's through baptism. We celebrate baptism during Easter. It's this idea of you dying with Christ and identifying with that death if you've given your life to him and coming out of the water and being raised with him. And it's the induction to God's family, the church. This is what he's going after. And then in verses 13 through 15, he's going to remind them of the things that they once were, but now because of Christ and what he's done in their heart, this is who you are now. He's saying, don't be taken captive. Don't be led astray. Remember who you are in Jesus. Verse 13, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and the the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He has set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He's disarmed the rulers and authorities, He's put them open to open shame by triumphing them, triumph, triumphant thing I can't even speak this morning. What has he done? He's put them to open shame by triumphing over them in his name. What is Paul saying here in the midst of not getting caught up in who you are actually in Jesus? The first thing in verse 13, he says, man, you were dead in your trespasses. Before Christ came in and changed your heart, you were dead. There was nothing that you could do to revive yourself. You were dead. It had to be God that comes in and Jesus comes in and gives us life in Christ. You remember the scene, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, in Genesis chapter 3, everything is good. In the first two chapters of the Bible, God creates everything good and and he's in uh, sync with his creation. And then in chapter 3, the wheels fall off. You remember that Eve is at the tree And she's looking at the tree that God has said, do not eat of this fruit. He gives a boundary and she crosses it. Remember, she has an enemy. She gets tricked into believing something else. This enemy ties baits on the end of a hook with a question. Did God really say? And what is he trying to do in the moment? What what is the enemy doing? He's hooking her into believing, into believing this lie. And she buys it. And all of humanity has changed forever. And we're included in that. Now we are selfish. We have problems. We are dead in our sin, but we're made alive in Christ. And he's saying, remember that you've been made alive in Christ. You don't live in that death anymore. And then he continues in verse 14, saying, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Do you know the level of debt that you had before you came to Jesus. Some of us just think it's, well, I was kind of a bad person. I kind of need Jesus. It would be helpful to be in heaven. (laughs) You had a record miles long of your sin. I had a record miles long of my sin. And what Jesus does is he comes in and he takes that record and he nails it to the cross with his work on the cross, his sacrifice for you and for me. And he says, it's paid in full. It's done. You don't have to live in that debt any longer. And then he says in verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I love the language that Paul uses here. It just reminds me of any type of uh, action movie where there's a bomb. It's usually at the end of the movie or sometimes at the beginning. But there's a bomb 
And the bomb squad is there, or maybe it's like a, a superhero that knows how to disarm a bomb magically. And they're always like at the end, and they're going, do I cut the red wire or the yellow wire? Which one do I cut? Because if they don't cut the water, and the, and the clock's ticking down, right? Like if they don't cut the wire, the bomb will explode and there will be destruction. And so they have to figure out which, which wire do I cut to disarm this thing that is going to destroy everything in its sight. And they always cut the right one, right? Like not always, most of the time. They cut the right one. And this is what Paul is saying, like, do you know that there were powers over you? Dark powers. That you had no chance. You could try to be good in your best efforts, but you had no chance. There was going to be destruction in the midst of your life. And Jesus comes along and he cuts that wire. He disarms those powers of darkness in your life. Now, if we're honest, many of us go, I've given my life to Jesus, but I don't feel like those powers are disarmed. Man, I still struggle. Why can't I beat this? What is the problem? I still feel like I'm struggling with this. And what Paul is reminding this church and reminding us in this moment is like those powers are disarmed. Somebody put it like this one time. It's like if you are enslaved to those powers, enslaved in your sin, it's like you have a shackle on and you have a chain and you have this ball and chain and you can't move. You are enslaved to these powers. And Christ comes along with his work on the cross and he cuts the chain, making you free. And then you pick up the ball and you walk around with it like this, still enslaved. Or even to what Paul is going to say, this community is going to throw you the ball and say, you have to keep holding this. This is what it means to, to know God and, and hold this. And Paul is going, that's not true. You're free in your position in Christ. You're no longer a captive to those things. Don't let them carry the truth away from you, but be reminded of who you are in Jesus, his work for you on the cross should enable you to live freely, to walk in Christ. So let's talk about what this means specifically for us. Again, Paul is saying, I want you to be mature in Christ. So I want you to walk in Jesus because you've received him. And now he's going to say, this is what it doesn't look like to walk in Christ because of the culture around you. And in chapter three, he'll start talking about what it does mean to walk in Christ. What does it actually look like to take those steps moment by moment? But before he does that, he's gonna say, listen, don't trip on these things. This is gonna cause you to trip in your walk with Christ. Be aware of what's going on in the culture. Here's the three things. If we look back to verse 16, it says this, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The first thing we need to be aware of is to grow in Christ, we need legalism to die. To grow in Christ, we need legalism to die. And that's specifically what I think Paul is going after here. He's talking about the, the Jewish faith that were a shadow, they were a, a point, a sign to Christ. And once Christ has come, people are saying, no, 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 you still have to do these things to be right with, with God. And Paul is saying, don't, don't do that. Don't let people pass judgment on you based on these outward things. You know, my grandpa, my dad's dad, was, I was never really close to him. We never lived in proximity to one another. I was 10 when he was 58. And when he was 58, he started having some pain in his lower back. And it was kind of bothering him. 
And so he went into his doctor and said, I'm, I'm feeling some discomfort back here. Like maybe we could get some things checked out. He was a fairly healthy guy. And they did some tests, they did some x-rays, and they, they found, they go, well, it looks like you have a cyst on your pancreas. And I said, look, we're just going to watch it for a while. Maybe it's something and it'll take care of itself. We don't really, we really want to operate because that's kind of hard to get to and it's kind of complicated. Let's just watch it for a couple months and see what happens. So he goes home and kind of monitors his health and it's not really getting any better. His pain is still there. So we go back, he goes back in a couple months later, he goes, you know, like, I don't, I'm not feeling any better. It's still kind of bothering me. I feel like we should probably do the surgery. So they schedule the surgery. He goes in to the hospital. They open him up to get what they think is a cyst, and there's cancer all over his body. They sew him up, stage four, and he never leaves the hospital again. He dies in like a month. And what was happening in his body was this slow thing eating away at him. And when we talk about legalism and what Paul is talking about here in our church, this is the silent killer of Christ-likeness. And often we don't even see it in our churches. We don't even see it, but it is slowly eroding our maturity process in Jesus. Now, the word legalism doesn't show up anywhere in the New Testament, and so it can kind of get thrown around. Let me just define it for us here for us to understand what are we actually talking about? What is Paul going after here, and how do we need to be aware of it? I want to define it in two different ways. The first is legalism is treating biblical standards of conduct as regulations to be kept by our own power and to earn God's favor. If you remember the first chapter, we looked at this cross chart and how the, the gospel expands and the cross expands. And then we looked at another chart that kind of minimizes or stunts the growth of the cross. This would be the performing edge of that piece that stunts the cross is legalism. The second way I want to define it is it's the manufacturing of specific requirements of conduct beyond teaching the Bible and making adherence to them the means by which a person is qualified for full participation in the local family of God, the church. This is kind of the pretending piece of that gospel chart, if you remember it. And in the first definition, in the first case, we use our own power to make ourselves moral, is what legalism does. In the second case, we use our own power to make the church community moral. The first case and definition, we fail to rely on the power of God for our own growth and maturity. And in the second case, we fail to rely on the power of God for the growth and maturity of others. And this is a really dangerous thing. And the reason we kind of lean towards it, I think, is because it feels good often. It gives us a sense of control if that second definition is like we're adding things to the Bible that are not there, but this culturally we're saying, you know what, girls, you can't wear pants. You can't see this movie. You can't listen to this song or else you're going to be shunned by the community. It's giving us power and control or the illusion of power and control. Like, I know it's hard and I want my teenagers to be safe, so I'm going to put all these laws and regulations on them so that they're going to be safe and it's actually hindering their growth. Now, there's appropriate things to do in having those conversations, but what we've often done is we've defaulted to this legalistic perspective of life, and it is stunting our growth. It is silently killing us inside as a church community. And Paul's saying, don't be captivated by it. 
Don't let that thing sway you away from what is true, who you are in Christ. Just go back and read verses 13, 14, and 15 of who you are in Jesus, whether you're a woman that wears pants or not. We laugh, but this is like, I've had some conversations with people in the last couple of weeks that grew up in very legalistic homes, and it crippled them and their relationship with Jesus. It really, really did. Not only is it kind of a silent killer, but it kind of is hard to detect often, and it kind of receives this surface level of praise, even within the church. Because all of a sudden, you're doing all the right things. You're staying away from that thing, and you're staying away from that thing. Paul will talk about at the end of the chapter, why do you still live in this do not taste, do not touch kind of mentality? You've been free from that. You need to put that away. That is crippling and killing you because, again, it, it becomes about me. And it becomes about my own effort, and it becomes about my own power to mature and grow. And it's dangerous. And Paul is saying, don't let it trip you up. Be careful of that. Be careful. That's the first thing that he warns us to. And again, this is, this is hard to detect. I would just, as a practical application, get around some people that you know and start to ask them, do you see this in me? And ask yourself, do I get my worth from my own power? Do I get my worth from trying to control the circumstances and situations? And you just can't control it. That's really hard. Because we want to control for right reasons, for the health of us and for the health of our kids. And man, it's challenging and it's difficult. Paul's saying, don't let legalism trip you up. We have to kill it. We have to let it die in Christ. So that's the first thing he kind of warns us to grow in Christ. We need legalism to die. And the second thing that we see in the text, verse 18, if we pick it up there, it just says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels and going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. To see Christ clearly mature in him, we need to close our eyes. Here's what I mean by close our eyes. I don't mean like close your eyes and worship, and that's what you have to do. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what Paul is going after here is he's going, man, there's this philosophy around that says for you to mature in Christ, for you to mature in your relationship with God, you have to do these things. You have to see these visions. You have to have angels meet you, and you have to be uh, in aestheticism. And if you're not familiar with that word, it's just kind of this self-discipline by avoiding all forms of good things. Right? So if you think of like a Buddhist monk, he will shave his head and wear only certain things. And he will kind of stay away from everything that could be potentially good. And man, that looks really religious. That looks like you're maturing. And he's saying, don't fall for that. That's not what maturity looks like. And oftentimes we can fail in this. Because we can think in our culture that, man, uh, growing in maturity means, man, you're four hours on your face hearing from the Lord and an angel walks in. Now, here's the deal. Does God show up in miraculous ways in the Bible? He sure does. He's a God that is over all things. He parts the sea for his people to walk through it. He does unbelievable, miraculous things. That should put us on the floor in awe. But if we think those are the only type of experiences we have for our growth and maturity, that's where we're going to get tripped up. 
And you see it in some of these cultures, even in some of the worship cultures in modern Christianity, that you have to sing and say these things for so long, and that's the way you get mature. And Paul is saying these types of things were happening then. I'm saying these types of things are happening now. And if you buy into that, what are you doing? You're just being puffed up. And you're being prideful of like, look at me. Let me tell you what happened to me in my relationship with God this week. And it was amazing. And then what starts to happen is what happens when God doesn't meet you in that way? When he just meets you in an ordinary conversation. When he just meets you when you go in and you go, God, I need to hear from you today. And you read your Bible and you go, I don't know. <laughs> like it's slow, incremental work over time that he grows you into maturity. It's like a seed being planted in the ground. And often we believe it's this huge dynamite explosion, and that's the only way to really grow in Christ. And Paul's saying, don't get tripped up by that. I love in 1 Kings chapter 19, the story of Elijah, God's prophet, and, and God comes and says, I want to I meet with you. I want to talk with you, Elijah. I want you to go to the mountain, and I'm going to meet you there. Some of you guys know the story. Elijah goes to the mountain, and he waits for God. And the text says that this mighty wind goes rushing through, and the text says, but God was not in the wind. And then this earthquake happens, and you got to be thinking if you're Elijah, okay, God's trying to speak to me, and the text says, God was not in the earthquake. And then a fire breaks out and takes place. And you think, oh, this has got to be God. He's a consuming fire. And it says, God was not in the fire. And then the next line of the story, there's a, a low whisper. And it says, that's where God is. Right? It doesn't negate the fact that God can meet you in these experiences. But if you're believing that the only way you can mature is based on this loud, big, luminous, large experience, you're going to get tripped up into believing you're not really growing. And God is saying, I grow you in the ordinary, in the day-to-day. -day. We talk all about in redemption, it's one of our six cultural statements, that life is naturally supernatural, that God's creation is charged with his presence, that in the bread and the wine, in simple things, God meets us and matures us. And he's saying, don't get tripped up, Colossians. Because this group is going to say, no, 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 you're not really mature. You have to look this way. You've got to experience these types of things. And actually, he's saying those things are actually just puffing those people up. It's like a chocolate bunny that's hollow. Don't do it. And we need to be aware of that too. The last thing we see, again, to, to grow in Christ, we need legalism to die. To see Christ clearly, we need to close our eyes to kind of these big spectacles that, that we feel like are the only things that mature us in Christ. And then to hold on to Christ as the head, we need the body. Paul continues in verse 19 where he says, And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and grows with a growth that is from God. So he's saying, listen, don't let anybody disqualify you. Don't let anybody put judgment on you based on legalism. Don't let anybody disqualify you because these uh, things that look like they're really spiritual, but they're really not. And then he says, listen, those same people aren't holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished in it together. I think this one is maybe more applicable than what Paul is addressing here. But for some of us, we need to realize there's a philosophy in our culture because of our individualistic nature as a culture that goes, it can just be me and Jesus. And that's it. 
right? This morning, I listened to my Bible on my drive here. I got here, put in my AirPods, and I drove around and put up the songs. I'm listening to worship music, and I'm connecting with God in real time, in the moment. He is meeting me and nourishing me through his word, through the song, and I'm just feeling really good. And then I can start to believe that that's the only way I grow and mature in Christ. Do you need to do those things on our own? Yes. But what he is saying is you need the body. You can't just have the head without the body. You need God's people in your life. It's just so true, and it's so messy, and you just wish, like, it'd be great if I could just have the head without the body. That would be amazing, because this arm has an infection, and I don't have to deal with it. But the problem is we won't really grow and mature as God is calling us to grow and mature. We have this prayer space over here. We mention it every week in our response time. And usually after I'm done preaching, if I'm preaching, I'll, I'll head straight there just to pray, spend some time with the Lord. And some of you will come in and meet me. And sometimes my buddy Mikey will come in and meet me. Mikey will come in and has this communion. And we pray. And the goofy thing is like, if Mikey thinks he needs me in that moment, maybe he does, I need Mikey in that moment. Because he shows me what it means to be Jesus. I can't have a fully developed and mature sense of who God is without you. We need each other desperately. And our culture and our philosophy will say, we don't need each other. Like, that's too difficult. That's too hard. That's too messy. You and Jesus can really do the work of growth. And I'm saying that's not true. Because being in spaces with other people, we're forced to be patient. Being in spaces with other people, we're forced to forgive each other. Being in spaces with other people, we're forced to listen to one another. You can't do that on your own. And Paul is saying, beware, this thing might trip you up. You cannot have the head who is Jesus without the body. There was an interesting study I read recently about the growth of online streaming for movies. And theaters, right? COVID, COVID shut everything down. Theaters were closed. You thought, man, they might be dead forever. They might never come back. And what they discovered in the data was they said, okay, we're going to start releasing uh, new movies at the same time we're going to release them in the theaters once theaters were back up and running in the last year. And what they found was really interesting because you go, Going to a movie is like you got to get there on time. There's sometimes crowds. It's like, man, it's way easier just to sit on your couch and stream it. And it could be less expensive how many people you got on the couch and in the room. And when they studied this and they said, okay, we're going to survey all the people that went to this same movie that came out in the theater the same time it got released in the home in a streaming service. And 10 times out of 10, the people that streamed in their home said the movie wasn't as good as the people that went to the theater. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? You're not having a conversation with the, pe the person next to you in the theater. Probably not. But you're with other people in the experience. Now, some of it you could say, well, it's because it's on the big screen, and I'm sure there's part of that. But like God is calling us to be with one another, even in our mess. Is it hard to get to a redemption community on, on a weekday? Yeah, it's really hard. We're busy people. Is it hard to get here on a Sunday? For some reason, you guys all decided to be here today. There's plenty of other things you could be doing. But you know, when we respond together, when we sing together, there's something that connects my heart to Jesus when I sing by myself in, in my office. There is. 
But there's something else different that grows me and matures me when I'm in this room and we are all singing collectively. And I look across the room and I know what you're going through. I've been in the conversations of your pain and you're singing anyway. And there's something that I can't get by myself when I get in this room. And it's really hard to do. And it's really annoying because we hurt each other. And what Paul is saying is if you want to grow and mature, which is what my goal is for you, you need to be with each other. We need to be with each other. Don't get tripped up into believing it's just me and Jesus. Because, man, the church is a mess. Because we're a mess. <laughs> we're a mess. But we still need each other. We still need each other to grow. So again, what Paul is doing here in this body of the letter is he's, he's getting word back from him of like, hey, these things are problematic, and he's addressing them. He's saying, to present you mature in Christ, be aware of these things, to walk in Christ, don't trip. Don't trip on legalism. Don't trip on this experience of God being bigger than life itself, and don't trip on the fact that you think you can go it alone with just you and Jesus. He's saying, be warned of that. That'll subtly take you away. And what he's going to do in the next chapter is going to say, this is what it means to walk in Christ. Here's what it means to take step by step setting your mind on things above and not on earthly things. That's where we'll pick up next week. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the goodness and the reminder that, man, we get things that trip us up in our maturity and our walk with you that maybe we don't even see. Would you help us come back to being rooted Jesus, in you, in your work on the cross for us. We need you to be able to do that for us. Help us remember verses 13 and 14 and 15, that man, we were dead and now we're alive, that we had this record of debt that has been canceled because of the cross, that we're no longer bound to these powers of darkness that we were at one point because you freed us by your blood. And help us live that out as we walk. Help us be warned in the areas that we get tripped and, and pulled away from the truth. We need your spirit to enable us to do it. We ask it in your name. Amen.